explanation to uh, the woman, the beast. We're going to talk about um, the little beast. We'll be talking about the mark of the beast. <laughs> There's a lot of beasts in there, isn't there? Yeah, welcome to Ravenna Assembly of God, the home of the beasts. <laughs> but uh, Lord, teach us tonight. Again, we ask. Allow our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And Lord, I, I pray as we approach this like we've never listened or read it before, guide us through this time as you teach our heart from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with verse 1 and 2 of Revelations 12. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. I really hope that thing in heaven is not red. Where have you heard that before? Okay, maybe nowhere. I don't know, but it, it would be in Genesis. It would be a dream that somebody had and told his brothers, maybe. Sun, the moon, twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. You know, it's important, I think, sometimes to realize, again, the key to what we read here is within Scripture. So uh, please remember, and forgive me if I continually repeat this, but we're going back again. This, this again, as we walk into it, it's fresh vision. We're into our fourth vision. We'll actually actually get into the fifth vision tonight. And and as we get here, you know, as we go through them, as, as, as you look at Revelations, it's a vision, and then it stops, and then a, a vision, and then it stops. You'll continually begin with the first coming of Christ and all that transpires then afterward, and you'll end with the end of all things. Not every vision emphasizes the first coming. They almost assume it. And, and not every vision emphasizes the end. They just kind of assume it. So gradually, each vision takes on its own view. Now, we went from the first vision all the way, and the end was sort of, I'll call it fuzzy, just assumed is what it is. The second vision was just emphasizing the first coming of Christ, the Lamb upon the throne, and the end was a silence in heaven for half an hour. It just fades out. It, it only assumes the first coming of Christ, and at the end, it told us that it was the ecstasy of those in heaven and the woe for those who were on the earth. Now, we start all over again with the fourth vision. And, and I hope you, you really see what, what, what we're doing here. Again, it is, a, it is principle that we're looking at, principle. And, and, and now, where does this company of people that we are dealing with in all these visions, otherwise known as the church, where do they come from? Did they just suddenly happen? No. They come from really what you would understand as a long history. In this next vision, we deal with that long history. We find it is a woman, okay, clothed with the sun in all the glory. So who is that woman? That's what we want to find out. And as soon as we open the Old Testament scriptures, it becomes really very simple. The description that is given of the woman is almost the very same that Joseph gave of an Israel not yet born. Hello? Uh, you remember when Joseph came down to the breakfast table, right? He had all that sausage and bacon waiting for him. Uh-huh. Do you, do you remember he saw the stars bowing down? Here you have the very same words that are used concerning that woman. Also, you'll notice the fact that it is a woman. That is emphasized in the Old Testament many, many times. So 
you know, I would suggest turn at your leisure, for example, to chapter 50 of Isaiah. In, 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 verse, in verse 1, we, we are not dealing with the exact exposition of that verse, but this is how it describes Israel. That's what I want you to see. So uh, it says, thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? He refers to the nation of Israel as a woman, okay? That then you find, for example, in Isaiah 54, one similar here. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no children. It speaks there again that more numerous will the sons of this woman be than of the married woman. And again, I, I just want to say this. It is neither here nor there what he's really talking about. The point that I'm trying to make here is he was addressing Israel as a woman. And so it is the theme that you'll find all the way through the Old Testament. A woman who was glorious with the glory of God. She was the bride of Jehovah. I think that became apparent in, in, in our first scripture here, the bride of Jehovah. So let's hit some bullet points here. Here is a woman. She's pregnant. Israel, the Old Testament, is a pregnant woman. Remember that. Israel of the Old Testament is a pregnant woman. If you trace the seed, even before Israel was Israel, the promised seed in Genesis chapter 3, and verse 15. I hope you remember that. It was the seed of the woman. And then, and then you move on to carries the seed through the flood. He, he gives called Shem. And Shem, then that family, carries the promise. The promise is, made, is, is, is remade, or I should say enlarged upon, to Abraham. And, of course, then is the beginning of the, of the Israeli nation. Jacob and his 12 sons. You, you had the first public view of this woman who was to be known as the bride of Jehovah. And right there, that woman is pregnant with the promise that God gave. The promise of the chosen one of God. The promise that one day that descendant shall come through whom all nations of the earth shall be blessed. So by the time David is king, you have the pregnancy is advanced here, for now we know that it shall be a descendant of David. Shall have a descendant is the covenant who shall sit upon a throne forever and ever. So here we go through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel and the other prophets, the promise becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the scripture refers to her as a pregnant woman about to give birth. Take Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 31 uh, here, speaking of Israel. He says, For I heard a cry as of a woman in labor, the anguish as of one giving birth to her first child, the cry of the daughter of Zion. Zion. Everyone say Zion. Okay, good. Grasping for breath, stretching out her hand, saying, Oh, woe is me, for I faint before murderers. Okay, so here is Israel, and not just Israel, but note that it says the daughter of Zion. If only we had time to really pursue that idea. But, but some of you have probably heard me talk about that before. Zion was the company of people who worshiped God in spirit and truth in that Old Testament day. And here it says Israel, the true Israel, and the believing Israel of the Old Testament, she is crying out as a woman about to give birth to a child, but she is confronted by murderers. In, in the book of the prophet Micah, you, you have a similar verse there. In Micah chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9, you, you can read about it. I'll just tell you where it's at. It's in chapter verse 8 and 9 of chapter 4, where it speaks of Israel as a woman about to deliver a child. So, again, Israel, or the church of the, of, of the Old Testament, is described as a pregnant woman, glorious with the glory of God, 
That is why Israel in the Old Testament was the chosen nation because they carried the chosen one. That's really important to remember. That's why they were the chosen ones. And when the chosen one comes, he, oh, never mind, I'm I'm not going to spoil it. The church of the New Testament is, is the woman delivered of that child and now living in his strength and his power, as we shall see in just a moment. But that's the difference between the two. So who was this child that was born to her, okay? And again, in chapter 12 of Revelations, it says she was with child and that she cried out in labor, in, la- uh, in labor, in pain to give birth. Now, it speaks in, in verses 3 and 4 about the dragon. And we'll come to that in a minute. I'm not going to de- dwell on that right now. But in verse, in verse 5, it says, gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, really, I don't think that needs much interpretation. Hello? We have the key to that, just just the key to what we are saying and, and not guesswork. The Bible tells me who that is in Psalm 2 and verse 9, where it specifically speaks of Jesus. In plain words, it speaks the Lord's anointed in his resurrection, and it says that he shall rule the rule with a rod of iron. So we have the very expression used in Revelation 12 interpreted to us in Psalm 2 and verse 9. Now notice also, in this this very book itself, in chapter 2, in Revelations 2, 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of a potter are broken are broken in pieces. So as I also, and again, Jesus speaking, received authority from my Father. So that from verse, from that very verse in, in, in Psalm 2 and verse 9 is quoted in Revelation 2, verse 27. We have got the key to this portion here. So the man-child which Israel delivered, Jesus, it says in John chapter 4 and verse 22, and, and it's just this little snippet that I'm pulling there, but Jesus says salvation is of the Jews or from the Jews. Christianity is Jewish, real Jewish. We are not completed Jews. No, we are just Jews of God's, okay? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you look Jewish to me. So out of Israel came the man-child, Jesus Christ. Standing in front of the woman the entire time, says the scripture, was a dragon. Again, you don't really need too much interpretation for that. It says in verse 3 of chapter 12, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns on his head were were seven diadems. And, And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Now, verse 9 interprets that for us. There are sometimes in Revelations when it is so important that you know who it is talking about. So he throws the interpretation in there for you. Notice verse 9, it says, The great dragon, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, just in case you missed who it is, it gives you a clear description. Now, notice how he is described. It says he has seven heads, and each one was crowned. The number seven is the number of fullness. We've talked about this over and over again. It is normally spoken of God, the perfection of fullness. But on this occasion, it is spoken of the devil. He had seven heads 
with seven crowns. It, it was a fullness of royalty. It was a royalty that could not be added to. That's the whole idea. That's the in, in, inherent here. That's what it means. <laughs> mm, so ten horns. We have, again, we've often discussed the number ten, which means completion. When you count up to ten, you, again, remember, you have to start all over again with with one. So, uh, you know, you count one through ten, then you add the one to it, again, another ten, then you add it. So ten is for completion. Horns, now we've also seen in in our past discussion, they, they speak of power or authority in power. So here is this monster that appears in a cosmic Broadway that we described is this huge movie on the screen, so to speak. It is telling us something. It is a shorthand symbol for something. It's saying that the devil is the ruler on earth. He does have this power. He doesn't have this power, I should say, across the universe, but on earth. And in that time that we are speaking of, he is standing before a pregnant Israel and with a fullness of royalty. He is the uh, he is the God of this world, you might even say. He is the prince of the power of the air with fullness of royalty and, and complete power over the minds of men on this earth. And behind all the nations stands the devil. Now notice it says, that he swept a third of the stars with his tail. Stars we have talked about, we have seen, speak of messengers, angelic beings. It says a third of the angels fell and became demons. Now notice that, uh, I'll just throw this out there, those of you who are afraid of devils, <laughs> there are twice as many angels as there are demons, okay? Nice to know, wouldn't you say? I just throwing it out there. You hear some people talk today, though. You would think that there's only a half an angel for, for every three demons or something. Only a third of the stars fell. And, and whatever that means, it certainly does mean that not all the angels fell. There are twice as many angels as there are demons. Hello? So, uh, let's take a look at something here because I think it's a it's a neat story all the way through. What was behind Pharaoh as he sought to throw the babies in the river? The devil think. The devil knew that somewhere in this company of people, there was this family that utterly would bring forth the chosen one. So come and get rid of all the males. Finish the nation, all right? Behind it was the dragon who was seeking to devour the child, even before it was born. Comes to some really, I think, interesting or thrilling moments. Uh, do you remember a lady in Scripture who was Queen Athalia, who uh, assumed when, when, her, when the son died and she took over as the mother and became queen of Israel and went into the royal nursery and she killed every one of the babies that were there, except she missed one. And that one was the one who carried the promised seed. And so it goes on. I mean, it's a long study, and you could carry it out right throughout the entire Old Testament, right up to Herod. What was behind Herod when he said, kill every male child in Bethlehem? It was the dragon. Now, the child has been born, and as a result, the dragon's mouth, you know, slapped shut. He missed. It says he was totally defeated. He failed. The child was caught up to God and his throne. So the whole finished work of Christ is summed up in the ascension, if you will understand that. There is, a, there is assumed the cross, assumed the burial, assumed the resurrection, and now he ascends. Satan, that, in that period, Satan had failed. The man-child ascends. You, you have such verses as Ephesians 1 and verse 21 to the end of that chapter where it says that he, and I'm just quoting these for you, 
ascended far above principality and power, every name that is named. You have another passage. Again, there's many, but 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, where it says that he made all principalities and powers subject to him. Times have changed. Suddenly, he who has had power has lost his power. In John chapter 12, verses 31 through 33, speaks of the prince of the world as being judged at the cross. In other words, boom, it's done. At that time, in Revelations 12, it says there was war in heaven. Now, war in heaven was at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who had power, who had authority in the heavens, in this spirit world, <laughs> over the minds of men, he lost that power. And again, that is one thing that we are going to return to and look in a lot further detail later on in our studies. But let it be established that this chapter tells us that he lost his power when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Can somebody say amen? It says at that time the heavens rejoiced. All those who dwelled in heaven rejoiced. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, know thyself. And no, this is not Shakespeare, okay? If you are born again, if you are born again, it says that you dwell where? In heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Inside you, inside your spirit, you, in your spirit, you are those designated as the ones who dwell in heaven. When you realize the finished work of Christ and realize that he cast Satan down and broke his power, then along with everyone else in heaven, we rejoice. Absolutely. A special mention here that's made of Michael who did battle with the devil. If you trace Michael, there's not much said about him in, in the Bible, but he is the highest order of angel that is about as much as we know about him. But he always stood up on behalf of Israel. And so here Israel, the woman, and Michael, the magnificent spirit person who stood up on behalf of Israel, is seen in that final battle. The devil who had ever sought to consume the true Israel it's, it's a done deal. And the heavens rejoice. Satan has lost all his power. He, he once had power, but he has lost it. His power, it was the law of God. For he could always point out the law to you and say, you've not kept it. You've missed it. You've blown it. That made you his prey, and you cringed before the law of God, and you knew you had not kept it. The Bible says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that the strength of sin is what? The law. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, take a look at it. It's, 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 I hope you follow what I'm saying here. The strength of sin is the, the last sting of sin is death. And the strength of sin is the law, is what it says. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have some fun here. And, and, and sin is not an action, but a condition. It's what we exist in as a result of the fall of man. We exist, we're born into the condition of separation that is sin. So I, I think some of you may be... I don't know if you've not fully seen the finished work of Jesus. If you, if you haven't, you still cringe before the law today. But you look at the law and you say as a result, I'm unworthy. I've messed up. I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm unworthy. And the devil says, yeah, 
you should belong to me. You say, that's right. The strength of sin is the law. Yeah. But now he is cast down. And so the scripture says that they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of the testimony. And they did not love their life until death. They overcame the devil. Mm. How did they do that? By the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? It means that I look back to the blood of the Lamb, back to the great victory that has been accomplished, past tense, past tense, and I rest upon that once for all. Shed blood of the lamb done period i don't have to i don't have to keep going back to it's been done once and for all whenever you meet anything that is satanic we do not initiate battle hello yeah you don't stand up there and re- i rebuke you i rebuke you i rebuke you until your rebuker is worn out we do not have we do not initiate we recognize a battle that has been won. They overcame him, not by a fight. Hello, somebody. Can't fight that. No, he's already been fought. It's done. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That is a fought, not a fight. That is a thought, not a it's past tense, not present. That means we recognize that it has been fought. By the word of their testimony, they overcame this dragon by resting on a once-for-all accomplished fact and their testimony to do that fact. Also, they, they love not their lives unto death. We usually leave that part out for some reason. But it, it's, it's very significant. It means that sometimes you overcome the devil by being killed. How many are excited about that one, huh? Yeah, that's what I thought. Now, that doesn't make sense, I know, but you might as well get used to it, friend. Revelations is full of them. You'll remember in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, there isn't time to tell of all the mighty exploits of faith. They subdued kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions. Wow, that, that's faith. Had the dead raised, given back to us. Man, that's some faith. Others endured mocking and scourging who died. That's faith. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes faith raises the dead. Sometimes faith walks boldly into an arena and gets torn apart by lions. Faith. They loved not their lives unto death. I, I know that it is done. I give testimony to that. Even if I die, I die an overcomer because I will not give in. So, so here are rejoicing ones over a devil who is absolutely, totally defeated. However, what has happened? Well, it says that now that he the child, he turned his attention then to the woman who had given birth to the child. Okay? He lost the child, descended, and as a result, he turns his attention now to the woman who had given birth to the child, and that is Israel of the New Testament. That is the church. So, we, we don't have time to really go into that, but and, and we have done it elsewhere. We've shared on this, and we have been hinting at it all along. But the church is the extension of the true Israel. And do me a favor. Read Romans chapter 11 sometime. I, th- I think a lot of people, instead of listening, no, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to squirrel. It, it says that the roots of the church are in Abraham, right? They're in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The stem, as it grew, is the Old Testament believers. And it says those Jews who did not believe upon the Messiah 
They were broken off. They were thrown out of the true Israel. And you Gentiles who did not, uh, you Gentiles who did believe Messiah, you were what? Grafted in. So get used to it, friends. You, 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 your roots are Israeli. Your, your forefathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're not somebody who's trying to get in or trying to pretend. or being, You've been grafted in. The life that flows through you. Hello, so your roots, the fruit. Or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You, you are the other end of Israel. And the glorious pregnant woman is the stem of the tree. And the woman now delivered of the child is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other Israel in, Bi in the Bible. So here is this woman. The church, and the devil turns his attention to her, the church, this woman. It says that she was protected in the wilderness, given wings of a great bird to fly there. That is so Old Testament. I mean, do you remember Exodus 19 and verse 14? God describes bearing Israel on eagles' wings out of Egypt. There's this, 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 you know, Pharaoh, he's walking at them, so to speak, seeking to get the people of God. And by miracle power, by deliverance beyond the minds of men, God took Israel to Mount Sinai to fellowship with him. The same idea is brought out in Deuteronomy 32.11. How about Isaiah 40, verse 31? I'm sure you know that one, right? It says, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Why do we have such a problem with Revelations 12 when it uses the same symbolic language? But as the church of Jesus Christ waits upon the Lord, so the Holy Spirit becomes the wings of eagles. Hello. The wilderness in, in that verse refers back to Exodus, the idea that God takes you back into his place, and there you fellowship with him. E even though the world is, is hard on your heels, God handles them. Oh, yes, he does. And we are back to water again. We, we have already seen the last time that we were together that water is where spirits drink, correct? It, it also says in Revelations 1 that out of the mouth of Jesus, his words were like what? The sounds of many waters. Here we have out of the devil's mouth a spring of water. Hmm. You remember in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, it says that the church should be ready. It says that there will be doctrines of demons and hard on the hills of the church comes a spewed out river straight out of the mouth of Satan. So if you, can't, if you can't persecute the church, he will send a river of doctrine of demons to trip her up, even sidetrack her. You can watch it. Honestly, it, 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 it's even happening now. In every move of God, the devil can't persecute. So out of his mouth comes the doctrine of devils. What do you look for in a doctrine of devils? You look for any doctrine that sidetracks you to a thing, a philosophy, or to an idea. Any doctrine, friend, that exalts Jesus Christ as Lord, you can rest in it being okay, right? No doctrine of devils ever does that. I'll guarantee you that. But anything that sidetracks you, that, that, that gets you all bound up in rules and in regulations and where you can and can't, and it is a doctrine from the devil that sidetracks you from the main issue. That's the whole point. It says that the earth just absorbed all the water. Or as the scripture says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, 
the spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against you. And the devil needs help. Got the satanic trinity now. So suddenly the whole scene changes. We're back to this cosmic staged kind of thing here. Only this time it is the raging waters of the sea. Now throughout the Old Testament, it is established that the sea in all of its raging is like and is likened to the nations of the world. They are restless. They're tossing, they're tossing sea. It says that out from the sea there came a great beast, ten crowned horns, seven heads full with the names of blasphemy. It had a body like a leopard. It had the rendering teeth of a bear, and it had a lion's mouth. Anybody hear any echoes there? Have you ever read Daniel chapter 7? where he saw the nations of the world, one like a leopard, one like a bear, one like a great monster. Remember that? Ten crowns. Again, that's the number of completion. The seven heads. Using the number seven again, that means the fullness of governments. In, 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 in that sense, we could say this means all the major governments of the world. And let me say this, and, and please don't misunderstand me, but not only do we go, go far as far back as, as like Babylon when we say the governments of the world, it also includes the governments of like the British Empire, the American governments of today as well. Now I can talk about all the governments. I don't care which government it is. There is no government under God on this earth. I, I, you could have a title, but I don't think America is one nation under God. That, that, that's a, because honestly, if we were what we claim to be, then the king would be Jesus. Amen? There is no government under God. Every government of this world is included in the seven. It, it is fullness. All the governments of this world. S some are certainly better than others. I'll say that. Yes. But when all is said and done, the devil uses them in his own unique way. Now, I'll be the first one to say, you know, hey, I am not anti-American at all. Don't, don't mess with me and my country in that sense. I am definitely patriotic in that sense, but I, 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 I have to have a scriptural viewpoint. There is a scriptural view that's not a worldview. The Roman Empire was a pretty good nation. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, it, it would not have, I mean, there are periods and times in the Roman Empire, I wouldn't mind just, just being a part of their Roman Empire. They all thought they were good. And, and in the eyes of men, they, they were good. But God said, when it's all said and done, you are a part of the whole beast and you are doing the devil's work in the long run. Now remember, Satan wanted to give Jesus the eighth head. Remember that? He said, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And, and when that didn't work out, he got into the heads of the Jewish people. And they, came, and they came and offered Jesus a literal kingdom on earth. He turned them down. Because he's not about to become the eighth head. He was about to establish a kingdom that was quite other than all the governments of the world think about that then you got blasphemy what, what what is blasphemy blasphemy is very simple when is it very simply when you really don't like my food blasphemy no it is that self-sufficiency it is that arrogance it is that independence which says I can do without God. It is the establishment of self as the absolute. It is declaring that power in the affluence, in rank, in might. It sounds pretty American, doesn't it? I mean, you can blaspheme in many different ways, but taken to its extreme, it's cursing God. 
It is saying away with God. That's the idea, away with God. The very first government of this world was established in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 by a man by the name of Nimrod. I wish we had the time to go into this, but Nimrod is worshipped throughout time and throughout the earth under many different names. He was the first man to declare himself as God over against God. One of the many names that Nimrod was worshipped under was Atlas. Atlas is seen, you remember the pictures of Atlas, he's holding up the earth, right? Lifting the, lifting the heavens, so to speak. Do you know that originally meant, way, what that originally meant way back in, in Babylon? Nimrod was the man who emancipated men from God. He, he pushed the heavens away from man, and, and he was worshipped as the Atlas or the emancipator who broke the ties of covenant and lifted the heavens away from man. Now, that is the world. We are free from God. Psalm 2, verse 1 and 2, uh, you know, nations raging away with God, so to speak. Names of blasphemy. The whole world looks at its affluence and its might, and it says, who is like the beast? It, I mean, awed almost by it. it it's, it's got to be right. Look at this. It is might. It couldn't be wrong. It's so great. You see this in the world and the culture and the doctrines being infiltrated and pushed on the church. I mean, I could get into some things right here so badly I want to, but at the same time I realize I've got to get to this other stuff. But, but, friend, you don't have but to turn the TV on to any program, and you're getting pushed with certain ideas uh, from lifestyle to the way that you're supposed to accept and, and do all these. Hey, what is man's idea? John looked at it, and suddenly he saw it receive a deadly wound. Ah, oh, sigh of relief, right? We're back again. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ. Jesus rose again from the dead, and the nations of this world received a deadly wound. The devil seemed as though he's lost. Hmm. But wait, look. He said that the deadly wound is healed. Although the nations of this world are, are spitting at the cross, they're still there. What's happening? Ha has the wound healed? You mean the beast wasn't really killed? Uh, you, you hang around, friend. Wait and see. You, you will soon find out that the wound was definitely for real. The kingdoms of this world are still here. In the midst of those kingdoms over which Jesus is declared Lord now, the gospel must be preached right to them, right to them in them, and right among them. It looks as if the wound that was inflicted upon anti-Christian nations and peoples was so healed that it literally had no effect. Time's going to tell. There was a very, very deep, eternal effect. But right now, we stand among the nations of the world, and we proclaim the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord right in the midst of those nations. I think we have got to understand that repentance includes changing our mind about the beast as well as about God. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm personally shocked at the way we adore the beast. Who's like the beast? You know what we do? We worship the American way of life. I'm not saying be anti-American. I'm saying don't be carried away into nationalism and patriotism that puts a nation before God. We repent of the beast. Baptism in water, according to Scripture, is that I am cut off from my society to enter the grand society of Jesus Christ. The church is called 
a holy nation. We have joined an international nation, and the very first command our King Jesus gives us is to behave ourselves in the nation that we find ourselves, to obey the authorities and respect them. But we are to understand we have one king. And that, that was the whole issue of the early church. That is what it is here. That's, what it, that's why this is here. Uh, do, do you say the beast is Lord or do you say Jesus is Lord? And they were the best citizens that Rome ever had. But they said Jesus is Lord. Now, governments that oppose the church, governments that lead you away, and the power of force and might, when the devil tries it, it doesn't always work. I mean, you throw them into the lions, you throw them to the lions, and what happens, right? Everyone wants to become a Christian. <laughs> it's, it's like you push against it, you shove against it, and it creates something entirely different in its effect. So the big beast needs a little helper. And out of the earth came a little, came, came a dear little beast. It looks like a lamb, spoke like a dragon, and expressed all the authority of the first beast. Okay, now we have a problem. I had no trouble with the devil when, when he came on, you know, bloody red, and, and the murderer, the murderer, the, the, the liar. We know him. I mean, great anti-Christian governments or governments that speak blasphemies, no trouble, not really. I mean, as the oppressed, we thrive. But a little sheep? That is the that that's what the whole that's what the whole book is about. A lamb as it had been slain. Now here is a lamb as it had as not as it had been slain. The devil works through governments, but he also works through counterfeit church that talks about Jesus the lamb but not the lamb as it had been slain. It talks about Jesus, but if you have ears to hear, you can hear a dragon snarling. Later on in the book, the beast looks like a lamb is, is called a false prophet. Prophet is one who speaks forth on behalf of God. Here is the false prophet. And at the very heart of it all, the word antichrist does not mean to be against Christ. The word antichrist means to be over against him, an alternative, if you like. Do you know what they called Nimrod, by the way? One of, the, I mean, one of his titles in ancient Chaldean was Zoroastra. You might have heard of, of Zoroastra. I mean, do, do, you know what, do you know what that means in Chaldean? It means the seed of the woman. Those ancient peoples held the promise of Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would come and deliver the human race as, as, and, and they called Nimrod Zoroastra, which means the seed of the woman. Here is your anointed one. Here is your Messiah. Here is the emancipator of the human race. He was an alternative to Jesus Christ. The devil, the devil doesn't say that Jesus is wrong. He says, look at mine. He doesn't say, he says, look at mine. I don't come, another way of explaining, I don't come and, and throw stones through your paint shop window, okay? I just open one next door. That, that I don't try to, I just, I hope you see what I mean. I, I don't, I, I, I don't believe communism is the Antichrist. Communism is against Christ. That is the governments of the world. Antichrist, whatever, whoever, however, is religious. Little lambs that bleat like dragons, an alternative. Here is the lamb as it had been slain, the Lord's Christ. The devil says, here is my lamb, the alternative. Get the picture. The religious beast. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, 
speaks of the devil as the angel of light. I know you're familiar with these. And Antai is the one that expresses the authority of the first beast. They are all part and parcel, basically. I, I can... I can identify, just like that of the denominations of today that are linked to that land and that talk like dragons, there, there are denominations that have, I don't even like to say it, but, and I'm not going to name them, I'll let you find out on, the, on your own, you Google some stuff, friends, but they've given part of their donations to help support militants, for example. The religious piece and the government piece, they, they all work together. You say, government, yeah, military action, oppression, what has that got to do with the church? I say, absolutely right. What has it got to do with the church? But apparently, the churches of the day seem to be pretty tied in close together in some cases. Really kind of bothers me when I see a lot of, quote, Political officials in a pulpit preaching a gospel that is other than the lamb that has been slain. Uh, you know, it's all tied together. That, 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 though, is what Revelation 13 is talking about. Beware of this little lamb that bleats like a dragon, but in fact is linked up with the second member of the satanic trinity who is like the beast. It is so big, it, it's got to be right, right? And, and the little lamb goes, <laughs> I practice that part. I can't, I can't go against my church. I've got to do what my church says. Then, then you get that other stuff that comes along and says, I must submit to authority. Not when my authority is the dragon. The only authority I submit to is God and God's people. Peter, who wrote more about submission probably than anybody else, said, we must obey God rather than men, right? Who was he refusing to submit to on that day? His religious authorities. If you submit to the dragon, even if he dressed like a sheep, he will take you to a dragon fold, not a sheep fold. You say, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. That's what this book was written for, to tell Spirit-filled people to watch out who they're following. If you follow a sheep that talks like dragon word, that talks dragon words, and, and you get dragon stomach ache, don't go to a charismatic shepherd for some Alka-Seltzer. I thought that went out really good, okay? I mean, you should not have gone where dragons feed. Persecution. Why? Because we refuse to bow to the beast, and you refuse to bow to the lamb that was a dragon. So you are going to get persecuted for it. I mean, I, re really, I, I, the devil is so crafty. I don't think most churches and most believers... Realize, and I'm not trying to sound the terror alarm, but realize how slice by slice by slice the churches, the Christians are being persecuted and taken down. So if you don't believe, so if you believe in a certain way, you're an idiot. You're dumb. You're of no use. Take them out. Get rid of them. You stand against. certain now culture beliefs and how are you viewed and, and it's indoctrinating our kids our young people on top of it so that they're being brought up to accept to say oh it's okay and, and, to, and to literally devalue and water down the gospel of Jesus Christ I got news for you friend there is a persecution in America that America doesn't even see and all you're doing is walking around with a Dragon stomach ache. Okay, I'll go on. I'm sorry. I'm wanting to squirrel really bad, but I got to get done, right? Oh. 
So we come to our next vision. Are you ready? Do we have time? Oh, do you have time for a little bit, a few extra minutes? <laughs> I am in my head. Okay. We come to, our, uh, to the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, the company of 144,000, and they're... Uh, clawing to get at them is the dragon and the beast and the other little beast. It depends on which camp you are in. Uh, that's, that is what this is all about. It says, all those who follow the beast, they are given the mark of the beast. And it says it is 666. We've had more fun with those numbers than anybody else, I think. I, I don't think there, there's too much problem there. I mean, uh, we have already seen that the church, the church receives a mark. What is it? It's the seal of the living God. What is six? Seven is the number of fullness, and normally it speaks of God, his fullness and, and, and perfection. Six is certainly the number of man. Don't you remember the day on which man was created? Day number, yeah, man who never quite made it to the fullness in God, seven is fullness, and he only made it up to six. Well, sin, as we've said, means missing the mark. We never reach God's rest day of seven except in Christ. So we have 666, which humanism, man, you shall be as gods, I, totally self-centered. Let me tell you where you can hear 666, where you are told that salvation is, is by doing your best. Salvation is by man pulling himself up to God by his own bootstraps, offering God, I'll do this, I'll do that. It's, it's 666. It is not a number that you are going to see in a person's forehead. This is a seal upon a man's spirit. This is the way he looks at life. Now notice that it is on his hand and it's on his forehead, right? What do you do with your hand? Personally, I feed myself, but that's, that's me. But you work. The way you work is 666. You work for yourself, for self. You work out of self. Your whole lifestyle is self, self, self. I. What do you do with your hands? You, you reach out and you shake hands. That is, you make friendships. It is the community, the body of the world where man is central. You're embracing that. You're grabbing hold of that. You're grabbing hold of the way that the world thinks, the way that the world understands. You're holding on. That's your, it was on the forehead. What do you do with your forehead? That's where you think. The philosophies where man is central. and I, I mean, it, if we could go through all the philosophies which are taught as fact educationally, we would realize they are there because man must be at the center and push God out. Can't even, can't even, man, pray, read scripture. Can't even, mmm. When we have seen in other studies that the only reason evolution comes in is because man cannot face the fact that God made him. Because once man has to admit that he was created by God, he has to face God. So, so he does away with God and, and, and puts man in, in the center and says, we evolved. Well, I wish that some of them would evolve. But the philosophies of men put self at the center. And so we are stamped with the mark of the beast. It's the way we think. We've accepted the philosophies that we think is the philosophies of the world. We, we embrace those ideas and those understandings. And, and, and it's, it's no longer on a scriptural basis. It's no longer on, on the principles of God's word. It's no longer... Our hands are stamped according to the way we work, according to our friendships. We're back again. It is the mark of the living God, the mark of the lamb in our foreheads. Or is it the mark of the beast? 
if I'm going to bow to the beast, if I'm going to say my church is so right I couldn't offend them, I am going along with the crowd. I am receiving the mark of the beast. I am doing as they say. I am yielding my money. I'm yielding my time. I'm yielding my person to them. The beast, the beast, the, 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 the other beast, and ultimately the dragon. If I yield myself to the lamb as it had been slain, that is the mark. This, this is not merely that, that, yes, I believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. That's not what I'm saying. It, it, in this whole book, we notice from the very beginning, the word witness was to be a martyr. They've got a martyr's mentality. And we saw that those who overcame the dragon are those that loved not their lives unto death. This isn't merely sitting in a church catechism and saying, oh, that's nice. I believe it. This is standing up to be counted and knowing that when you are counted, you might be dead tomorrow. That's martyr mentality, as we talked about way at the beginning. Jesus Christ is Lord, and I follow him. That means repentance from the world, the world church, the devil himself, as well as myself, to receive the seal of the Holy Spirit in new birth. Hello, somebody. If you follow this chapter through, you're going to find that it uses two words that are very, very important. In chapter 13, verses 9 through 10, matter of fact, let's, let's look at that. It, it says, yeah, where did, where did I go? Chapter 13, oh, I, I, oh, here it is. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the pers perseverance and the faith of the saints. It, it says, speaking of what the first beast will do to you, persecution, about being killed with the sword, and it ends up. Now, this is your comfort if you're under religious persecution by a government. It says, here is perseverance and the faith of the saints. If you are facing persecution of the first beast, you need perseverance. You need patience. I, I think that speaks for itself. But then, But when it speaks of the other... Down here it says in, in verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Here is wisdom. And it goes on to speak of the mark like we just read of the beast, the philosophy that comes from the little lamb. It says here is wisdom. If you face the world governments, you need patience. But when you face the second little beast, you need wisdom. There's a big difference. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not real patient with anti-Christian churches. I just, I just am not. I just need, <laughs> I, I just, I just need wisdom. And when I, I see it, to avoid it and to get away from it. So the dragon has two helpers. If you meet one, you need perseverance. If you meet the other, you need wisdom. And personally, you know, I, I look at this and I, I say, well, maybe I, I give me the world governments any day. I, I know where I stand. But when you have a little white woolly lamb come along, I, I need wisdom of God to look on its neck and see if there is a gash as it had been slain. If there is no blood in what it says, it is a false lamb. And I have got to have wisdom to discern what is coming out of its mouth. Is it the words of him whose voice is like many waters, or is it the sound of a dragon? I, I got to be aware, and, and I, I got to follow truth. So these are the principles, and I've, I've put this entire section in your notes. Read them with me. These are the principles that occur. He says, the church came out of Israel. The church is the new Israel. They are those who in the heavens rejoice, but while they walk on earth, they still face a very real dragon. Although the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his courts, <laughs> sorry about Clark, yet they are still, <laughs> I'm human, folks, 
yet they are still here. And it looks as if their wound, not wood, wound was healed. And really, they have got a helper in an anti-Christian church. But walk among them, says the scriptures. They are not what they seem to be. The man-child rules. The end is near. So I say, have patience and wisdom, and you will make it through. Amen and amen. Tell that to the person back there sleeping. Would you stand? Just kidding. Would you stand with me? They're all looking around saying, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Would you stand with me tonight? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're sharing with us. And I know, Lord, it's it's a lot. There, there's a lot being bitten off, and there's a lot that, that just, huh? But I pray, stir up what you have within us to hear what the Spirit is saying. Don't let us just stop with a moment here, but let us be Bereans who study it, who look at it, who who eat it and taste of it. May we continue to, to just know your leading and guiding and not just dismiss it because of something that is a, a, as taught to us for so long as, 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 as a doctrine, but let us understand your word by your word. Speak to us, Lord. Bring to us understanding. Revelation of our Lord in Jesus Christ. He rules. He is risen. He has ascended. He has been seated. In, and we have been seated with him in heavenly places. He rules and we rule. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives unto death. So, Lord, I pray, stir up your church again. May our eyes ever be focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Bless them, I pray. Prosper them. Protect them. Increase them. I pray, keep them safe. Impart your health to them. Honor them. Bless them in their coming ins and their going outs in all their hand finds to do. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And everybody said, let's give him praise one more time. Can we do that?